So this morning, uh, I have an apology to make. Number one, I did not get your bulletins ready for you on time. So you are going to have to write like crazy if you want to keep up with all of the Scripture verses that we're going to be covering today. And so I apologize. So the bad news is there's a lot of Scripture verses. But the good news is if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you in the seat, so grab it. Okay. And also the good news is it's only in two books, the book of Romans and the book of Hebrews this morning. And also good news, we're going from the front to the back. So as long as you can keep flipping, you will be okay. We're going to do that together this morning. The last couple of weeks, we have been covering how and why we can have hope in Christ. And today we're going to summarize that with the focus being hope in Christ. It's all about Jesus because in reality, that is what we're all about. So please turn with me now. Actually, I lied. Here's a third book we're covering real quick. But this is the intro. Second Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read this together, 1 through 15. Second Peter chapter 3, and this is going to set the tone for today's sermon. Second Peter chapter 3, 1 through 15. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water, by water, and these waters also, and by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote with wisdom that God gave him. So this is the warning. Peter is sharing this to his friends, his people in the church. There is a warning. Look, this world that we live in right now is temporary. And the, the reason why this, this uh, destruction that he talks about hasn't happened is not because God is slow in keeping his promises, but that God is patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish, and so he wants all of us to come 
to everlasting life. So now, that sets the tone. Okay, the end of the, of the movie now has been shown. Now we're going to go back in time to where we are today. And we're going to look at how we can establish fulfilling that warning that Peter told us about. So now let's turn to the book of Romans. We're going to, in essence, walk through parts of the Roman road. The reason behind it is because it's important for us to understand where we correctly stand in Christ and why it is that He and He alone is the only one who can save us. So please turn to Romans chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 1 and we're going to read through 7. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to this his early life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace uh, and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for His name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be His holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes a lot of stuff packed in there. It's almost like one of those cheesy, uh, cheesy hot dogs. Uh, I love the ones that have the jalapenos in there as well. So when you slice the hot dog, you got a little bit of cheese, you got a little bit of jalapeno, and a whole lot of hot dog. And I love the fact that he shoved so much stuff in there. And this is the message here, that he's writing to the Gentiles saying, you, God is doing this for you this morning. Let's continue on. Uh, it is through grace that we receive not only, it's through Jesus that we not only receive grace for God, but also apostleship. So this morning, please do not forget that we are allowed to be forgiven by God, but also it's our job to be a disciple, to go out there and share the gospel for others as well. We're going to continue on now, verses 16 through 32. This is a big chunk. Paul continues. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen and being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. I want to pause here for a second to let you know that before you came to Christ, one of the reasons why you did not believe it was necessary to come from, to Christ is because sin was blocking your vision of the truth. This is true in my life as well. And as we are here in the church today, it is sin that blocks the truth 
that we are not doing what God has called us to do, and it's time to repent. So sin is very dangerous, ladies and gentlemen. We, we don't take it lightly because sin is what winds up blinding our eyes and we don't see which direction we should go. Uh, verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal humans, uh, being, uh, be, human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and, and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. All of us fall into this category. Every single one of us fall into this category because there is some desire that we have had at some point in our life that we chose to serve rather than God. Because of this, verse 26, God gave them over to shameful lust. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations for women and were inflamed with lust with one, for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what they ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents, and they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do the very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. And we sit and we look at this scenario and we're going, oh boy, what an evil world that we live in because we have totally turned ourselves away from what God has called us to do and we are doing the things that we want to do that are offensive to God. Now, for those of us in the church, we might stop and say, well, that's okay. I don't do those things anymore, so I'm not. I'm a good person now. I'm a good person now. Praise be to me and my self-righteousness. I'm a good person now. Right? Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you pass judgment. Do the same things. Keep in mind that the law was designed, if you break one, you've broken it all. Because it's not a pick and choose scenario. The law was not a vending machine. You don't put your money in and choose what candy bar you want to obey. It was all or nothing. And that's the situation we find ourselves in. Okay? Now, we find ourselves with a lot of concern now. My level of anxiety just went up. Because I felt really comfortable a few minutes ago thinking I'm a good person. I'm doing okay. Now, all of a sudden, I'm not feeling so good. All right, so let's move forward. Chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. Chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. Now, if I, was, if I was Jewish, then I'd fall under the law. But if I was a Gentile, like a Roman, I don't follow any of those rules, so I shouldn't have to worry about it, right? 
Let's go to verse 9, chapter 3. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage of being a Jewish person? Not at all. For we have been already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. And as it is written, there is not one righteous, not even one. There's not one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. We've all turned away. We've all become totally worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open grave. Their tongues practice deceit. Their lips of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that where, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Oh, great. So not only am I a terrible, horrible, rotten person... Before I learn about Jesus, I discover that I'm a horrible, terrible, rotten person after I learn about Jesus. This puts me in quite the predicament this morning. Can I truly trust in God? And what Romans is trying to tell us here is that the problem we face is sin. And sin is nothing more than rebellion against God. Maybe we don't like that word. Maybe that's too harsh. All right, um, I made a mistake. We like to use that word. I made a mistake before God. But you know what? The end result is still the same. Whether we intended to do it, that's rebellion, or whether we blew it because we weren't paying attention, the end result is still the same. We are still found with a blemish on our soul because of the mistakes that we have, uh, have made. How are we going to fix this problem? Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Let's pick it up there. 22 through 26. Still in chapter 3. This righteousness is given through faith. In Jesus Christ to all who believe, and there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all of us are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance... Oh, by the way, I'm going to pause here. Forbearance. Forbearance, forbearance is a great word. Uh, forgiveness is a word we understand. I forgive you. Forbearance is forgiveness without going up and saying, I forgive you. So when somebody annoys you and you forgive them and you don't even mention it, that's forbearance. So let's read that sentence again. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So let's talk about this Jesus and why we can put our hope in him. And then we're going to dig in a little bit deeper in the book of Hebrews to talk about why Jesus fulfilled every single thing that we needed. First of all, we know that God in the beginning created all things through Jesus. Jesus was with God the Father in the beginning. All things were created by Him and for Him and through Him. We also know that the character of God is that God is love. He cannot deny His character. He loves us every single day. And that's why this song was so very important to sing this morning. 
God loves us all. And you know what? No matter how rotten we are, He still loves us. And no matter how righteous we think we are, God still loves us. You cannot work your way into heaven. You cannot be a good person and move up the ladder, so to speak, to get closer to God. It doesn't work that way. Because God's nature is to love. But God is also holy. God is holy and no unrighteousness can be in His presence. So there is a predicament there. How can He love us, but yet not? He's going to have to destroy us all? So that's why Jesus was so very important. Uh, let's continue on. Uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 6. We're going to find that because Jesus died for us, there's a new way that we can live. Romans chapter 7, verse 6. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we can now serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Well, certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin... Seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I, once I was apart, alive, excuse me, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. Verse 12. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. And this is my problem. I know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not. But what I hate to do, that I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do, who, who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's name, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin working within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That is why we can be free. 
Because Jesus took the full penalty of our sin at the cross. And when Jesus was buried, all that sin was buried with Him. All of my sin, all of your sin was buried with Him. And when Jesus came out of that tomb, guess what? There was no sin with Him. It was gone. Our sin is gone. And what, but what's the connection that allows us to, to, to link up with Jesus so that we can be resurrected like Him? The answer is faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. So now, this is one of my favorite ones that we read in Romans, and then we'll hop into Hebrews. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is what we're supposed to do now that we realize that in the flesh we make mistakes. We rebel against God. But it's God's grace that saves us so we don't have to sweat it. Just keep sticking to Jesus, right? Chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. This is what we're doing. We're going from trying to live perfectly by the law, which we cannot do because our own spirit wants to do evil. And we go to turning our spirit over to Christ and allowing Him to use our bodies as living sacrifices. So now, this is what our job is to do. How does Jesus get it done? And then if that's true that Jesus gets all of this stuff done, why then can we put our trust and faith in Him? So Hebrews is awesome. It is an awesome book. I love the book of Hebrews because it's speaking to people who have an understanding of Jewish tradition in the past, and he takes and looks at it from many different angles, just putting out on one of those lazy Susans. He rotates it one step at a time, and he looks at the Jewish faith, and he says, see, Jesus fits here. See, Jesus fits there. See, Jesus fits here. And it's great. It's a great book. So Hebrews, with me please. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So we're going to discover, through the author of Hebrews, how Jesus is being the answer of all of our problems and why we can put our trust and faith in Him. Verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through, to, through whom He also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His, of his being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After he had provided purification from sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So let me pause for a second here because I need to explain why the author is talking about angels. Okay? In the Jewish tradition, the angels are very important because the angels were the messengers from God. Okay? The prophets also spoke but when you heard something from God, it oftentimes came through an angel. And when an angel talked to you, it would scare the tar out of you. Okay, These beings would show up, and they are so pure 
that they would sparkle like white, almost like lightning. And it would scare the heck out of somebody because they were pure and holy. But after a while in Jewish tradition, they started to think that only through angels could the messages of God be, be sent. And when Jesus came, they kind of poo-pooed some of his message because he wasn't glorious like an angel. Does this make sense? And some of this? Okay, good. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We must pay attention. The most care- we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation, this salvation which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So we're talking about the gospel here. The three years of ministry that Jesus did on the earth. Jesus didn't just talk about what God wanted him to talk about. He showed signs, he did miracles, and then after he was crucified and raised from the dead... The apostles also did showed signs and, and did miracles as well. Okay, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. But we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call you and me, them, brothers and sisters. Okay, this is really important. That Jesus did everything that he did so that he could unite us all together as brothers and sisters. And we are united with those who in the year 33 AD were some of the first believers. We are united, all of them, with Jesus as the one who made that happen. So uh, let's go chapter 2, verse 16 through 18. So Jesus is the one. For surely it is not angels he helps but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest to serve in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So in Jewish tradition, they spent a lot of time talking about the tabernacle in the wilderness. How the high priest's responsibility was to offer sacrifices to God for the people. Now the people couldn't make that sacrifice themselves. They had to go through the high priest. And only once a year he would apply the blood inside the whole, most holy of holies. The high priest was essential for that. And we're going to find that Jesus does that. So Jesus had to become human. God had to become human because the offering had to be perfect. 
And only God is perfect. So this is one of the reasons why Jesus had to become a human being. Also, by the way, it also disproves the Gnostics of that time, which said that Jesus wasn't, his flesh wasn't pure and holy. In other words, they said he couldn't have been God because the flesh is sinful, the spirit is holy. Uh -uh. No, Jesus was God in the flesh, which is a concept that's hard for me to grasp. I get it. So let's look forward in in, uh, Moses chapter 3. Moses, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3 about Moses. Because another one of the things as we rotate the Old Testament, as we rotate Hebrew culture, we're going to see that there was another hang up that the Jewish people had. And we get that hang up too, by the way. It's called pastor worship. This is when we say, my pastor says this, my pastor says this. Why should we do this? Because my pastor says to do it. Pastor worship is dangerous. We should only obey the Bible because the Bible tells us to do it, right? Does that make sense? So Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, You ever seen a real beautiful mansion? We, we, We don't make mansions anymore. We make small mini mansions, right? Uh, or big houses, depending on how you want to look at it. So, uh, which kind of cracks me up that we would do that because I have a hard enough time trying to come up with three hundred fifty thousand dollars for a home, much less seven hundred fifty. You know what I'm saying? So, but but we you see some of these beautifully architectured houses. They are absolutely gorgeous, and we look at them, and it's a nice house and all that. But you can't give honor to the house just because it's a good looking house. You have to give honor to the one who built it, right? So. Now, Moses established the Old Testament law, and it was good because through the Old Testament law, we learned what sin was, so we wouldn't have an excuse. But we can't give honor to Moses because there was someone who created Moses, who built Moses up, who put Moses in the right direction, and that, of course, is Jesus. That's what Jesus did, Uh, and that is why Jesus is more important than Moses. Now, let's go ahead and turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Let's go verses 14 through 16. Now it kind of skips ahead. It talks about Jesus being the high priest, but let's let's keep this in mind. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. This is good news. Now God is holy. Sometimes we're afraid that because He's holy, He doesn't love us because we're unholy. But we've already established that God is love. It's in His nature to love. But now, God, you don't know what it's like. You don't know the feeling. You don't don't know what it's like. Oh, yes, He does. That's why He came. Jesus came so He could say, yes, I know what it feels like to be tempted. I know what it feels like. So He can empathize with us. And that is a great thing. Uh, Let's go ahead and continue on. Um, uh, Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through six. Okay, now we're talking about the high priest offering a sacrifice here, right? 
For it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their, to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Now keep this in mind. If Jesus is the high priest and Jesus is the Lamb of God, the sacrifice, if we decide to say, I want nothing to do with Jesus anymore, is there any other way we can be made right with God? No. Does this mean you can never come back to God if you decided to do this? I don't know. I'm not going to get close enough to that to find out. But I do know this. If Jesus is the only way back to God, if we have denied God at any point in our lives and we repent and turn back to God, you're still golden because it's God who gives us His mercy and His grace and not us, right? Verse, uh, chapter 7. Verses 17 through 22, this is making reference to the fact that Jesus was not a Levi, but yet he was still a high priest. Verse 17, for it is declared, you are a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now the reason why Melchizedek is mentioned in the Old Testament, he was somebody from the town of Salem, Salem, which means peace. He had no beginning of days, he had no end of days, meaning they didn't know his genealogy. But he served God, and he was the one who blessed Abraham. And Jesus is just like that. He did not come from the lineage of the Levites, so he should not have been a priest. But because he has no beginning of days and he has no end of days, he's the perfect high priest for us, serving as a mediator between God and us, because he never li- he, he's always going to live. He's never going to die. So that is an important part to note. Let's go ahead and turn to chapter 8. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne and majesty of heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle made up by the Lord and not by mere human beings. We do have that God who is there. Now, when this is the hard part for us, my, our, our minds to be able to handle. We can, it's hard for us to grasp. How can God be three persons? That's just how he chose to, to represent himself, right? So, I mean, is it, is it going to be one of those scenarios where the Spirit of God sits next to the Son and the Father God, and they go, hey, how's it going, me? Good, me. How are you doing, me? I'm great, me. That is hard for our minds to understand. But keep in mind, the Son of God, Jesus, is God in the flesh. And as a high priest, he, uh, he is very good at what he does. Now, chapter 9 goes into talking about the early earthly tabernacle, how it was a representation of, of, the, of the one in heaven. Let's t- turn now to verses 14 and 15. Um, how much more, then, will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God. Cleanse our consciences from the acts that led to death, so that we may serve the living God. Verse 15, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that He has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So we see right here, That it is because of Jesus' sacrifice that the Old Testament 
got segued into the New Testament. The Old Testament was not thrown away, it just was improved. And it was improved because the Old Testament, we, we blew it, we made mistakes, and that's why the Old Testament failed. But the, with Jesus' sacrifice now, the New Testament is better. We recognize what is sin, we draw upon the Holy Spirit to avoid temptation, and when we blow it, when we're rebellious, when we make a mistake, it is Jesus the mediator who brings us in right standing with God. So in chapter 10, let's go verses 19 through 25. Chapter 10, 19 through 25. Because we're, we're bringing it home. This is the conclusion. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up our meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Ladies and gentlemen, it is good news that Jesus is not only God, but He is also the, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice who makes us right. He is also our high priest and mediator. So there is nothing above heaven, below heaven, on earth, below earth, anywhere. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can take away our salvation in Christ Jesus because it is Jesus who says, I want you. I love you. And I want you to be a part with me, a part of me, and with me forever and ever. That's the conclusion that we can have. You can take that to the bank. Your hope is secure this morning. So um, please pray with me as we conclude. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you've, you've done it all. Um, you designed the road. You paved the road. You placed us on the road. You point us in the right direction. Your Holy Spirit guides every step we take. That we can take no credit for any of this. All we did is raised our hand and said yes and obeyed you in baptism. What can we say? We've done nothing and you've done all of it. And you've done it because you love us. And even today when we're rebellious and sinful and stubborn, we turn back to you. You say we, I, that you love us. This is why we can sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.